You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again for the Phys Ed Podcast. Hey, glad to have you again for another chat around science and STEM. And I must say, Scarlett Lee Williams' journey into STEM has been, well, honestly, inspiring. She is a current postgraduate research student at the School of Biological and Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of New South Wales, but she's had some sliding door moments, which has brought her all the way at the end of 2021 to be involved in the organising committee for the Australian Space Biology and Health Summit. How cool is that? You see, Scarlett has been very passionate about science for a very, very long time. She's been involved in the Young Scientist Journal and the British Science Association, and she really loves spending time, well, communicating science. And I must say, this is a really good discussion when it comes to be, well, what can you do with a science degree? This is all about, well, thinking about your horizons. And that is exactly, well, funnily enough, space is all about. So let's head on right in. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. <laughs> well, currently I'm a master's student, actually. Um, that's what I kind of do in like my day job, you could say. Um, I specialise in molecular ecology, which in itself is not a very you know, well-known field, but I have a molecular um, biology background. Um, so I like to like, work a lot with genomics and genetics, and actually you can do a lot with the environment and helping the environment and looking into how invasive species impact Australia, um, look into biodiversity and how we can help it and save it uh, just from genetics that you collect from the environment. So it's a very interesting area. It was an area I'd never heard of when I was actually studying. I came across it because I met a researcher out of nowhere and that's how I got into that research. Gotta love the chance encounters because that's exactly what I was going to ask. Like how on earth do you find about that thing? And there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was completely by chance. I just got referred to him. I was sitting in my zoology um, lecture and I said, you know, I'm really interested in animals because I started off being very interested in animals. It's why I came to Australia to start with, um, you know, marine biology. You've got the Great Barrier Reef and all of the you know unique wildlife that can only be found in Australia. I think, oh, I think it's around 75 percent. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. And I don't like saying things, you know, like 100 percent sure. But it's, it's a very high percentage amount of animals found in Australia only found here. So it's it's one of the reasons I came. And yeah, I was sitting in my lecture and then my uh, my you know, professor was just like, oh, yeah, you know, have you have you heard of this research and what he's doing? And I was saying no. So I sat down with a meeting with him. It's very mathematical based, which scared me at first because I'm notoriously terrified of maths. Um, but it was it was so interesting, completely interdisciplinary like field. So that's how I Absolutely. got into it. I mean, like, I mean, island biogeography is a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. in Australia is somewhat of an island. Uh, and that's debatable. Are we an island? Are we a continent? What are we? <laughs> but what we are is an isolated spot where our plants and animals have developed differently. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting you get into the genomics of that because, I mean, I suppose that's really the cutting edge of today's science, right? I mean, um, I mean, we're currently, uh, uh, we've, uh, we got connected because we're, we're involved in an exolab project with magnitude with the International Space Station and, yep. uh, and doing some uh, well, research about what will actually happen to red clover and its uh, uh, symbiosis with rhizobia. 
in microgravity versus mm -hmm. on the ground. And then some genomics that comes out of this. And, it, and I'm guessing that might be sort of, how, how, how did you get involved potentially with this? How did Ted get in touch with you? <laughs> right. So I really like, when I came to university, I wanted to try everything. I had no idea what my particular interests were. I know I just loved biology, animals. So I got into the space scene. Um, I just remember there was this, this guy, he came to one of my first lectures and he had these, this crazy frizzy hair and he was a physicist. And he goes, no, we're actually recruiting students to help with these biology projects. We want to send plants to space. And I was like, yeah, that's, that, that sounds amazing. I'm gonna go along and see what that's all about. And that's how it kind of all started. And that was a few years ago. Um, and since then, you know, it's just snowballed and it's becoming something I just love so much. And what happened was, was I was presenting at a conference actually, and it was a virtual one last year. And that's how I got in touch with Ted um, because I was doing my presentation on legumes in space and growing legumes in space. And then I saw that that's what his bio said. So, you know, I quickly messaged him on the Slack channel they were using for that conference. And there we go. It just kind of went from there. Actually, you know what? That's really cool because, I mean, a lot of people who go, are listening to this particular podcast, they, they live in education in some way, shape or form usually. And we go to conferences. We do. But there really are just chance encounters, aren't they? They're really? Yet again, like it's a chance encounter yet again. And suddenly you're hanging out with Ted, who is heavily involved with the U U.S. National Lab and the ISS. Growing legumes, which happens to be what you do. It's really important to get, I suppose, I suppose the learning out of that straight away is get your bio right, right? <laughs> People can find you. Yeah, and it's, it's great when they respond positively. Unfortunately, a lot of the time with science is, you know, you hit up somebody and you're just like, oh, I'm doing the same area as you. This is fantastic. Let's collaborate. And unfortunately, a lot of the time in science, they actually see that as a bad thing and they'll go, oh, no, someone else is doing the same thing as me. And they go into this competitive mode where they don't want anything to do with you. And then they feel they have to actually be better than you. So it was great meeting Ted because what he's doing, I think, predominantly is in education. And I think education is a fantastic space to be in because, you know, there's a lot of collaboration. People generally are very willing to try and just share the knowledge and create engagement which is why I really like being in education as well. Uh, that's awesome. So you're involved in research. You've got that. There's this really a side project because I know there's this genomics and in invasive species and whatnot. Uh, and very, very curious about that. I mean, all right. So if you had to be in front of um, a bunch of high school students to describe what on earth is this thing that you're researching, well, how would you describe that in simplistic form? As in what just encompasses everything that I do? sort of like the actual research so the, how does genomics work from the invasive why would we even care why would this matter from an invasive species point of view oh that's a good question i guess it provides really cool answers that's the thing with genomics so a lot of times in biology i was when i was in school i would always be that kid that was asking but why you know it's kind of like when you know, we're talking about anything to do with plants, like the pepper moth is a massive thing that's talked about in the UK. And I just, you know, they're talking about how the industrial revolution happened and how there's these mechanisms of evolution where, you know, one moth would survive more than the other because, you know, it's survival of the fittest. And I was just like, yeah, but why? Why does it have that coloration? Why, why, why? And so, you know, it just gets to the point where it just, it always comes down to the genes. That is why that's what actually creates the color of a moth and that's actually what creates a disease is actually just mutations a lot of the time in the genetics so that's kind of why i'm really interested in genetics it's kind of the cause of it all when it comes to life well it's interesting i mean i, I used to work in um 
not so much the gene express, expression. I was dealing with the actual outcome of those genes, which was the invasive things actually hanging around in the first place. I used to do uh, bushland regeneration and restore, restoration projects in Sydney long before I uh, got into education. Uh, but certainly you could see the impact of highly competitive species in an environment they're not really meant to be in. Yeah. <laughs> so which is, yeah, let's be honest, they're really good at what they do. That's why they're invasive. They're yeah. being, you know, quite successful, really. Yeah, they adapt very, very quickly. That's what makes a lot of invasive species very successful. And when you're studying genomics, for instance, if you just look at even, you know, let's say you take a load of samples from the, the top of Australia, let's say in Queensland area, and you actually take samples of an invasive species such as deer or cane toads, and you work your way down the coast, you can see a genuine change in genetics. And sometimes you can even see a pattern where you can see how they've migrated and where they're going. And it can help predict where they're going to end up as well, because you can actually trace all the different changes in the genetics. It's funny that I just say that um, is that it's effectively what's been happening watching the various variants Mm -hmm. this, this particular virus that we're all reasonably familiar with nowadays um and you really can watch really a timeline i suppose yeah, of yeah. how things go and it's really is this tree that splits out in lots of different ways and produces interesting things how do, okay so the kids have to so they get that they understand how you know it's molecular biology really mm -hmm. so righto how on earth do you get into something like that so, so the reason why I asked that is, for, uh, like, you've had a very interesting path. You're working from zoology, and you have this chance encounter, and now you're working in the, in genomics, and now then you have another chance encounter, and now you're working <laughs> on a side project with a space station. I mean, that's a that's a bit of an arc. <laughs> it really is, and I personally think the best thing to do is just keep your mind wide open to any opportunities and what you want to do. I've had work experience in cancer labs, cardiovascular disease labs. Um, because they're just opportunities that were just, they just came up. And then there was a marine biology lab opening and there was all these things and I just wanted to try it all. And then over time, you kind of narrow down what it is that you really find interesting, not just based on something that catches your eye, but because you realize what you don't want, if that makes sense. So for instance, when it comes to very intense lab work, I enjoy being outside a lot of the time. So I didn't want something that was going to be solely just lab based. So I got rid of those options. So I think it's, I think people don't need to worry too much about trying to find that one thing that they love and then just pursuing it. I think it's totally okay to just be completely open to any possibilities. And then you'll find yourself in spaces that just are really bizarre and there isn't really much of a community for them yet, but then you can be part of that forefront. And that's what sort of space biology is. I feel like I'm in such a great space at the moment because I try so many different things and you just never know what will be useful later on. So I now use a lot of my lab skills that I learned, for example, in a cancer lab, when I'm actually sort of looking at bacteria in roots, so. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking right now, so if you have future, future thinking, especially with a particular project with space biology, uh, we will get to the moon at some point, hopefully soon with the Artemis missions. It's going to be very cool. And then yeah. again, we're going to take another step out to Mars, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, and at some point, we just might be hanging out and potentially living on these places. I'm kind of wondering from an invasive point of view, finding the gene expressions of successful organisms, mm. what makes them successful is really handy because as much as the invasive thing is a problem on Earth in certain areas, I mean, going to something that's off earth we kind of actually need those very characteristics that make them a pest in the first place because <laughs> you need to be successful right very very good point yeah <laughs> you know, just, just, just sort of thinking that it's a 
So I suppose there's a, a thing. I, um, I guess uh, for now, I mean, you're involved in a variety of different things and you've got a symposium coming up later this year around space biology. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, so that's going to be happening in November. It's going to be hybrid. Hopefully we'll still have the in-person aspect for it as well as it being online. Um, we're really trying to get a big international sort of crowd. Everyone's welcome. It's going to be free, um, which is absolutely fantastic. It's going to be supported by a few agencies, space agencies, as well as New South Wales government. Um, they've been really great with this. And we're actually trying to promote a lot of STEM outreach for this because we've noticed that with a lot of these official formal conferences, there's just not enough outreach to students. So we are trying to encourage students to um, actually submit to a competition. It was decided literally yesterday in a meeting that we're opening up a competition because with our conference, we're gonna have little subheadings, like subcategories. We'll have space economics and we'll also have space biology, space health. We're going to pose some questions for students and they can submit the answers in the form of a video and then we'll just let you know upload those videos to the site and they can just be watched by people all around the world which would be great as well as doing presentations and posters too so that is so cool and actually i mean this is one of the things i wanted to have a chat to you about because i mean that is an opportunity quite yeah. the opportunity for students to engage in and so there's a lot of verticals in that there's a lot of different ways they can uh, get involved. So right, uh, firstly, how can they get involved? We haven't actually put any of this on the website yet. So this is like first-hand news. You're uh, the first person I've told about this. Oh, you heard it here first. Wow, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. So, so the plan is to have some form of website in some way, shape or form. Um, yes, yeah, so we have a website for the conference and we're posting advertisements there about it. The actual name of the symposium is the Australian Space Biology and Health Symposium. Um, and I will send you a link to the website so you can spread it on your, on your socials. Um, yeah, that's going to be the ASBX. And we're going to have speakers from all over the world. We've got people from NASA, JAXA, which is the Japanese Space Agency, the Canadian Space Agency will be there too. So it's a great way for students to get really involved and they can ask whatever questions they like to these people. And we're going to have an astronaut there as well. So Absolutely. Now, here's a challenge um, for people listening. And if you just say you've Googled this particular symposium or you've got the link, because, yes, we always post those things in the, post, the show notes uh, and you want to get involved and you've got students there. I'm thinking about coming full circle to the start of this conversation, that turning up with some information about your projects and actually giving a bit of buyer about even your school and what your projects have been doing or what you've been doing in university could be quite powerful because i mean I, I believe that the nature of space people are really open to try some interesting ideas that and yeah. these conferences and symposiums tend to be really pollination events uh, yeah. cross pollination events of different ideas and so please if you are considering going there think about that's not the end it's the start exactly that's a great way to put it and the thing is when you're in the space sector is it's one of those areas that the crazier the idea, the better, the more encouraged it is. A lot of the time, you know, people just, they want something that's just gonna work. I find that a lot with science um, and a lot of engineers and scientists that I work with actually, who are very in their fields, complete experts, absolutely fantastic at what they do. And you come to them with a bit of a weird, broad idea. Oh, I wanna go plants in space. And they just think you're a little bit mad. Um, but when you come to the space scene and you say something like that, they're all just like, yes, let's do it. 
let's do this thing. So. The thing is, there is a very, uh, there's a commonality amongst growing, funnily enough, well, food. <laughs> and um, and it produces a multidisciplinary approach because, I mean, even just the simple containers that they're growing in, some of those uh, materials can be off-gassing in an environment they shouldn't be off-gassing in the first place because it's meant to be quite, you know, safe place for astronauts to live uh but also like okay the soil scientists being involved because i mean we go to mars i mean there are perchlorates in the soil it's kind of bad for growth kind of toxic actually uh and all these different things really will matter because eventually once all the boffins have got their heads together and making a thing happen that works there's going to be people who aren't boffins someday don't know when it could be a thousand years from now i don't know yeah. at some point the non-boffins in us will have to well be, we were hopefully using the technology that actually has set them up in the first place to be there. And this is the start of it. It's good fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you said soil scientists. And that reminds me of a really funny story that I have actually. Um, a couple of years ago, we were going to do a rocket launch and we wanted to grow some um, rhizobium bacteria, basically, and just see what the effects of G-force and acceleration would have on their growth. Yep. And I was reaching out to uh, just soil companies in Australia, trying to get some soil from them. And I just remember I, I did this. It wasn't even in my mind. I just had my own timeline. I had to get on with it because the rocket launch was coming up. Yep. And I was sending out these emails saying, you know, hey, I'm Scarlett. I work, you know, with uh, space and rockets. And I would, you know, I'm working with biology and I would like some soil. And I, you know, gave them a brief email about what I was doing, what I was hoping to achieve. And was hoping that they would like to, you know, either donate or to give me some discount soil to grow these things. So these are agricultural soil companies. Did not realize that I had sent them out on April Fools. And <laughs> one company that you said use, University of Sydney. And I, I was, I, you know, they were like the main company that I really wanted to get involved because um, I really like their, their ethos and I thought they'd be a great company to use and they never got back to me and so a week later I was like I'll chase them up you know I'll, I'll see what the issue is and the woman on the phone went that was real oh we sat down we had a board meeting we all discussed it and we just thought that's got to be a joke there's no way we're a tiny little company based <laughs> in the rural New South Wales why would someone legitimately be asking us <laughs> for soil for a rocket experiment that's happening no this can't be real and then in the end they donated they donated a lot of free soil <laughs> they realized that it was actually a legitimate thing that's so. awesome. And actually, the thing is, there are different soil types. There really are. I mean, I mean, I'm going back to undergraduate days at this point. There is a bucket load of different soils. And, and actually, plant kids not realizing that is actually a concern because they, they, they might try and plant their plants in their home and the things don't grow because there's far too much clay or whatever it is. And, and it's not just the texture. It's the things that are in the soil. And it, it, it really, it does make a difference. And it, it, um, I was actually, uh, when I talk to students and show them a map of the Sydney soil region, so I'm in Sydney, yes. it is quite diverse. I mean, we've got shale and we've got sand transition, mm -hmm. shale sandstone transition areas. We've got Cook's River clay areas and we've got all this different stuff going on. And to a botanist, not a soil person, yeah. a botanist, if you look above, like with aerial photography, if you even they can look, a botanist with a plant list can pretty much guess the soil based on the plants growing on it because it's an indicator of something else. Exactly, yeah. And I, su and I suppose when we look at, like with the work that you do, I mean, the phenotypes, the expression of the things that are growing from the genotypes, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's really, it, it's, it's, it's a related concept. So it's always about looking deeper, right? Exactly, yeah. And just finding those patterns. Yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. Hey, look, love what you're doing. And then I'm just kind of wondering, so if you were in front of a bunch of oh, kids who really want to do science in some way, they're going, you know what, this is the thing. I want to, I want to do this. Uh, and they're wondering about, right, what are the next steps? What are the potential opportunities? How do I get involved in cool projects as opposed to being told, here's my class 1A, now I'll do class 1B and 1C, D, E, F, 2, until I finally uh, graduate with a, a degree and then I do the next degree and then I'm sort of stuck in degree land. Um, how do they get involved in actual projects that do things? What are the first steps? I think just, I think hmm, for me, it probably all started with just Google. I remember being <laughs> 15 and I had no idea what I wanted to, to do. And in fact, I didn't enjoy science in school. I really didn't. It was very exams based and I was not a good exam taker, but I found biology incredibly interesting. I found zoology very interesting. And I just ended up Googling different um, organizations in the UK, there's this organization, British Science Association. They do this thing called the Big Band Fair. And there's also projects like the Crest Awards. I think yeah. there's something similar here too. Yeah, Just, there are the Crest Awards. Yeah, and that's the opportunity to do your own research experiment. Yeah. Um, so that's exactly what I did. I remember my first ever research experiment that I did independently was when I was 15. And it was on looking at lichens um, and their, like where they grow uh, based on pollution levels. Because it actually turns out they prefer high levels of pollution some species because they like the nitrogen. So it was a very interesting project. And then I started to realize, well, the company that actually do this project, they do a lot of other stuff too. And then it just kind of went from there, I went to their websites. I went to other websites because they link their websites to websites. And you can find a lot online. I started to attend meetings online and in person, talking to people to go, oh, have you heard of this opportunity? Or have you heard of this group of people? And just over time, that's how I really got into it. And then I decided, okay, I'll do a science degree. I'll just, you know, grip my teeth. I'll pass these exams. And I'll go to university and I'll do science. Yeah. Um, and that's how I got involved in it. There's, there's, I feel like the degree is a ticket to something else. But that's it doesn't exactly have it. to be. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there are plenty of people who work in science who honestly don't have a degree at all. Exactly. Exactly. You just got to have that interest, that curiosity. And I honestly think that's enough to make you a scientist. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose in summary, open mind, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly, yes. Uh, Scarlett, look, thank you so much for popping on this podcast. And uh, uh, and uh, if you're listening in, seriously, Google that <laughs> symposium. And we'll put that link out there. It'll be definitely worth checking out because that, whilst that's a thing that's coming up later this year, uh, this is 2021 and the nature of podcast being that you might be listening to this several years from now. Uh, mm. Look up other space biology symposiums that might be happening in a country near you or in your country because you just never quite know. Exactly. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carl. Have a great afternoon. You too. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. Well, there we go. We just heard from Scarlett Lee Williams, who not only is highly passionate about science, she really loves communicating it, which means you can get in touch with her to find out more. Now, I do recommend go check out ASBX. That is the Australian Space Biology and Health Summit. It is at the end of 2021. Go to the website. So ASBX.com. 
www.ngpodcast.com.au and there's going to be a bunch of information going up about all the different talks and all the different things that's going on. And yes, the ExoLab that I'm involved in with Magnitude will be involved as well. I'm really, really looking forward to this. It's going to be amazing. So definitely reach out to uh, Scala. It is well worth getting in touch. And also, maybe think about, is this worth sharing to your students? Because you know what? Sometimes it's just good to hear about how other people have come across, you know, there's just those little moments where suddenly your career takes a twist and it accelerates very, very quickly. And I've got a funny feeling that Scarlett is going to get very, very involved in space science as the years progress. Look, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this particular podcast. I loved hanging out with Scarlett and uh, I hope you enjoyed listening on in. So uh, as usual, we do have more episodes coming up on the Phys Ed podcast. You've been listening to me, Ben Newsom. I'm from Phys Education and I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au